Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter, where we pre-stream each episode on Twitter Spaces the day before publishing on all major podcast platforms. For the platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. Today's guest is Roy Hoy. Roy is the founder of Lightlink, a layer two blockchain built for the metaverse, NFT, and gaming applications. Roy is an engineer and entrepreneur, having founded several other ventures, such as Speller, MyMedia, and MMGN.com, among other initiatives, which I will let uh, Roy dive into himself. Uh, Roy, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Thank you for having me, Nina. I hope I got your uh, bio introduction right. Am I correct in understanding that Lightlink and Peller are your current ventures? Uh, that is right. We started our blockchain venture in 2017, mm -hmm. and we've been in the Web3 crypto blockchain world for the past six years, and it's been a hell of a ride. I'm sure it has. Just for my understanding, what is what is Peller? Right. Because today we're going to predominantly talk about Lightlink, but what exactly is Peller? Peller is a Web3 builder. Mm -hmm. So we build blockchain solutions, and it all started in 2017 when friends of ours asked us if we can build uh, blockchain technology for them. And we... Uh, started building infrastructure blockchain technology and saw a lot of challenges that businesses had. And that's one of the reasons uh, why we built Lightlink. Mm -hmm. So Lightlink came subsequently. Correct. I know you have a computer science background, mm -hmm. but what exactly brought you to the world of Web3 and founding a layer two? <sighs> It's a, it's a long story. Feel free. <laughs> we have time. Sure. It's also great that you brought up um, the computer science background because as an engineer, you are, I mean, you, you don't really choose the computer science background you because it's a cool thing to do. It's part of your life, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, when you are a kid, you're inquisitive, you like um, to tinker with things and uh, take apart alarm clocks and have an engineering mind. And those are the candidates that we love to have as um, engineers on our team to have a natural inquisitive mind. And that path typically in this day and age will lead you to a computer engineering background. And eventually when you are very technical and uh, inquisitive, you will choose computer science as a thing to study in the university. And when you are uh, inquisitive, uh, when you're curious, when you love technology, you like to explore the frontiers of technology. And the flavor of the month in this world, uh, of course, is artificial intelligence, right? So uh, if you are mm -hmm. in computer science or love technology, you'll probably be playing with uh, language models or machine learning or that, that type of technology. And uh, as I was um, in the industry, in the technology industry, back early 2000, um, blockchain, crypto is one of those technologies that comes around and go, there are 
people talking about this new uh, innovation, this new technology. And uh, quite early in my career, 2012, was when I discovered uh, Bitcoin. And there were a lot of people talking about Bitcoin. And I started looking at the technology and it's super, super fascinating. And, you know, there, people will speculate on its price and uh, talk about how it will become a currency and change the world. Um, but I really looked at the technology, how uh, information can be structured in a way that it is immutable. And I saw nothing like that in the world, right? Uh, in terms of databases are like glorified Excel spreadsheets where you can go to a cell and modify a certain record. But this technology based on cryptography anchors truth um, from the inception of that piece of data and how it uh, evolve and into a series of changes. And that immutability, that permanence um, was amazing. Um, and it all stems from a cryptography nature. And that I thought, wow, it's gonna change the world. And uh, we took a gamble early 2017. And in a way, looking back six years, it has changed the world, you know? When I talked to other people about blockchain, nobody had an idea of what I was talking about back then. Mm. And now, you know, like when I go to my kids' um, primary school, uh, you know, parents' drinks, and everybody wanted to talk about blockchain. Uh-huh. <laughs> So this was, would you say, so more today? Well, six years can be a, not a long time if if we're you're slightly older, <laughs> but but in the crypto world, it's like decades. Because mm -hmm. I'm assuming that you've gone through ups and downs from from the inception of of Lightlink and Peller. But yes, yeah, certainly the conversation has changed. I'm personally not a computer uh, engineer myself, but I, I come from a finance background. But I really like what you said. It anchors truth. I hope I can borrow that. <laughs> I may actually borrow that. Certainly. So, and then what, what brought you then to founding uh, an L2? Yeah, um, uh, again, a very interesting question. So blockchain fundamentally is a, in my mind, a revolutionary technology and technology goes through iterations and uh, improvements and incremental adjustments along the way. Mm -hmm. um, one of the foundational technology we built at Peller was an enterprise blockchain. It was designed to be completely opposite to Ethereum because at the time, Ethereum is a large internet computer mm -hmm. uh, in, in my mind. And it had a lot of inefficiencies back then uh, in terms of its speed, its capacity, its costs, and largely today as well. But I kind of see the brilliance in a lot of the technology of Italic as a champion, right? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to build something that was uh, opposite to Ethereum to be able to move very fast, operate very efficiently. But at the same time, it suffered a lot of things that uh, Ethereum was very good at in terms of security and decentralization and the native transparency and interoperability uh, large public blockchains had. So we built this private blockchain as a uh, key IP and we licensed to many organizations around the world, including large investment banks, Mm. financial institutions, you know, enterprise supply chain customers and so on and so forth. And these customers were really good at what they were doing, but they were missing the larger evolution of a financial world, the digital financial world. So they couldn't tap into the liquidity of USDT or call another composable smart contract. And we, we kept on innovating that um, private enterprise blockchain world to look at how can we capitalize on that world, uh, on the DeFi world and things like that. 
And uh, at the same time, we were doing a variety of different layer one projects, you know, deploying NFT projects or uh, DeFi projects onto Ethereum and Polygon Binance and saw the inefficiencies in that environment in terms of it's very costly, it's uh, fairly slow, but it was really brilliant at what it was doing. And when the concepts of layer twos came around, it was somewhere in the middle. And that's what go, we went, go, wow, um, we can have the best of both worlds. I mean, it's never really the best of both worlds, but it was some something in the middle. And uh, we reconfigured our uh, private enterprise blockchain into a public configuration and built it on top of one of the largest economies uh, in the world, and that's Ethereum, and that's the layer two foundation. But it was really to address the uh, requirements and problems that we saw around the industry. You know, We had metaverse projects that uh, were looking at uh, utilizing the private blockchain we had, and it could tap into so much of the existing economy. And uh, that's where layer two is really shown because it sat on top of a very, very large economy. And uh, by having EVM compatibility, by having you know the same level of uh, encryption, it essentially means uh, we can connect to existing larger ecosystems much easier than a private enterprise configuration. So that's sort of where we uh, came from. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, is your team based in Australia or is it spread uh, differently around the world or geographically or is it um, more localized? Yeah, um, we've been working remote for a very long time now. Mm -hmm. And that configuration uh, in terms of finding the best people around the world uh, has been something that we've done uh, over a very long time. I've done, you know, over decades, right? So mm. we try not to use to have geography as a restriction for growth. So we try to find people, the best people around the world. Mm. One of our lead engineers based in Ireland, uh, one of our embedded engineers is based in Brazil. We have, you know, uh, talent from uh, Vietnam. Uh, and of course, we have, you know, brilliant engineers here in Australia too. Oh, it's wonderful to hear. So you're not, uh, remote is not a new thing for you. It's uh, it's more of a way of life then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 24-7. 24-7. Well, yeah, because of the <laughs> time differences, it's, it gets tricky. So, well, before we dive into Lightlink, uh, I would just like to set the stage for the L2 concept and conversation. If you wouldn't mind, I'd just like to hear from, from your point of view and to understand more about your thought process around L2s. So what kinds of L2s exist and what kind of problems do they solve? Um, this is just more of a general question. Yeah, great question. I think layer twos are built on top of layer ones and the core concept is to scale layer ones. And I think if we look at Vitalik's, um, the founder of Ethereum's thesis is we would eventually move into a multi-chain uh, environment where Ethereum as a foundation would maintain the most secure, the most decentralized infrastructure, and it will eventually be a settlement layer where execution layer, in terms of where most of the transactions happen, will happen on the layer two environment. So let's uh, unpack that a bit. So right now, if I have USDT on Ethereum, uh, Ethereum mainnet, when I send you USDT, that transaction is fairly costly. You know, maybe it's uh, 50 cents or a dollar, depending on gas price and Ethereum price. But uh, when we think of uh, actual fear pricing, you know, it is a fairly costly exercise to carry out that transaction. And transaction speed, you know, it's okay, but it's not near instant from a, a real-time perspective. So there are a lot of challenges 
executing large volume of transactions at a lower cost on the Ethereum mainnet. Mm. But at the same time, Ethereum is where, at least from my Web3 lens, where all the crypto natives probably trust the most, right? It has the biggest decentralization. It has the most innovation. The largest population of developers are building on top of Ethereum. So in, in its current state, um, it's probably one of the largest economies from a digital financial de DeFi uh, world perspective. But uh, due to all the limitations I was talking about earlier, uh, layer twos uh, try to solve those issues by uh, saying, can we process a lot of these transactions outside of layer one and then anchor our truth, anchoring our uh, transactions back onto layer one? So it attempts to solve these problems by saying, can we add more scalability? Can we add more performance? Can we reduce the transaction processing time? Can we reduce the cost? And uh, can we use Ethereum as a way to, can we use its uh, decentralization, can we use security, but scale transactions um, in a different capacity? And that's the general concepts of uh, layer two. Mm -hmm. And there are many different methods of doing that. And broadly speaking, I think optimistic rollups and uh, ZK based type of layer twos are the most common implementation today. Mm -hmm. So given that picture, where does Lightlink fit into this picture as an L2? And how how does it stand out from the crowd of EVM blockchains? Yeah, um, firstly, I think um, before addressing the difference, it's probably important also to address the similarities, right? Mm -hmm. Because similarities reduces the barrier to entry. We've decided Ether, the currency on Ethereum, being the native token uh, for transactions. And that means... You don't need to grasp a separate concept or buy a native token differently from a separate exchange. You know, I don't need to buy BNB or Matic uh, using you know Polygon and BNB as an example to execute smart contracts and deploy smart contracts on Lightlink. So by using the same native token allows us to onboard more developers, more projects quicker because there's no external concepts to understand. And at the same time, we use uh, Solidity, we, we're EVM compatible. Um, so from a development perspective, you can just copy and paste your existing smart contracts or uh, point your MetaMask to Lightlink with a click of a button and your, your smart contracts will run, your existing infrastructure will run. So having that similarity is really important, uh, even though uh, it's... It's something that people overlook, right? But at the same time, because it's a layer two, we can operate at substantially higher frequency and conduct more transactions. And therefore, uh, transactions on layer two are near instant. They're super low cost. And um, many people can use Lightlink at the same time. Um, so we can process up to 429 million transactions every day. So similarities first. Um, in terms of differences, um, this is where I think Lightlink can, uh, it's a little bit interesting because those are the fundamental things that I believe a layer two should contain where we don't really see a lot of those implementations. So uh, one of the key differentiation is we have something I call the enterprise mode. So when they, you know, of course, it's a permissionless uh, public chain. Anybody can deploy a smart contract on top of Lightlink using Ether. But in my mind, one of the biggest complexities 
working with a blockchain, working with a uh, new blockchain network, is the need of a native token. Mm -hmm. And when a smart contract is configured to be an enterprise mode, the user who is interacting with that smart contract no longer needs a native token. So to simplify what I just said, uh, essentially, it's a gasless mode. Um, so, for example, if you have USDT, you just send USDT and the recipient will receive USDT without the need of a native token. And I think it's really, really important, right? Like because the native token concept doesn't exist in the real world. So, for example, if I go to a cafe, want to buy a cup of coffee, I would, you know, tap my phone or credit card and spend USD, AUD or Euro, whatever the currency is, and the merchant would receive the same currency, there isn't a need for me to use a different currency for that transaction to happen. You know, if I'm using MasterCard as an example, I don't need MasterCard coins for that USD transaction to happen. So that's largely true in the uh, wider crypto world and that those concepts are very difficult to map to the real world. And if we need massive, massive adoption for this new technology, we need to figure out how to change the economics a bit or change the mm -hmm. tokenomics a bit for it to be a more natural fitting for the Web2 world. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you already mentioning the gasless mode. I will definitely pick your brain on that. But before we we move on to in terms of the transaction costs, I'm just curious, what makes Lightlink a, a true Ethereum L2? Just going back to you're talking about private and public. Do you source security from the Ethereum L1? And if so, to what extent? Yeah, great question. There are different configurations of uh, layer two environments, right? Uh, when you look at Arbitrum as an example, there's Arbitrum 1 and Arbitrum Nova. Right. So many would say Arbitrum Nova has separate configuration, has different configuration, and does it make a true L2? But largely, uh, people recognize Arbitrum Nova as a layer two. So we are, for from a configuration perspective, we are more close to the Arbitrum Nova family uh, school of layer two, where we separate out data availability and we place um, our transactions on a separate data availability layer and post our proofs onto layer one. Mm -hmm. And we consciously made that decision so we can run things at a faster speed and maintain a constant cost in writing transactions to layer one. But I think a layer two writing your proofs onto layer one makes us a borrowing the security and decentralization of uh, Ethereum and giving us that uh, security uh, Ethereum is able to offer. I ask my guests this question frequently, and some there's different answers. People um, approach it differently uh, in terms of the Vitalik's blockchain trilemma. How do you view Vitalik's trilemma today? Do you think it's relevant? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just curious, how did you approach the interplay between, obviously, we're talking about decentralization, security, and scalability, scalability properties on Lightlink? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I. Uh, I don't think layer two addresses all of those things. If it did, it would be a layer one, right? And right. The, exactly. the most optimal configuration of layer one might be Ethereum. Um, and if we suffer decentralization, uh, it might be you know a BNB chain uh, as an example, right? So uh, layer two addresses a different problem. It's just purely scaling, 
and we inherit and borrow the security decentralization from Ethereum. And therefore, we can work on one of the uh, areas, and that's um, mm-hmm. that's uh, scalability. Yeah, I mean, the main, obviously, yeah, the main goal of a layer two is to increase transaction throughput, which, according to the stats that I checked with Lightlink, they're actually pretty amazing. Higher transactions per second um, in terms of uh, the time, block time, etc., but without sacrificing decentralization or security. Just, um, just going in terms of. What is your uh, transaction finality in terms of Lightning? Uh, 500 milliseconds at the moment. 500 milliseconds, milliseconds, which is very fast. Correct. So how, how are you achieving this? Um, by sacrificing decentralization, right? <laughs> so okay. a lot of uh, layer 2s are fairly centralized. Uh, so Optimism and Arbitrum, as example, are fairly centralized uh, layer 2s. There is a roadmap to for the decentralization in the future, but because it's centralized, we have uh, control of computation power, network speed, uh, various configurations of algorithms, and we can process transactions at a substantially higher uh, frequency, and we rely on layer one to provide that uh, security and decentralization for the layer two. Um, fair enough. So back to the gasless mode. Mm-hmm. I listened to you in an AMA where you talked about the gasless mode and obviously seems to be your key distinction from other layer twos. In other words, you aim to shift the gas fee to the contract deployer system versus the actual users of the system. Correct. So having gasless transactions is quite a big deal. So going back to previously what you alluded to, can you first explain the concept? And second, talk about your approach in achieving this. Um, would this would this essentially be a subscription model? Correct. Shifting to the contract deployer system. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so the main target for enterprise mode are enterprise customers. Mm-hmm. Where I've spoken to a lot of uh, CTOs in larger organizations over the years, and one of the constant worry that they have is can my transactions be completed? So that uncertainty. Mm-hmm. How much are my transactions going to cost? How many people can it service? And what does my infrastructure cost? Because they view, you know, uh, these computation networks as infrastructure technology. Uh, how much does my infrastructure cost going to change over the next 12 months, right? So as a CTO for a large bank or a large telco, those are, you know, very normal questions for if you're choosing a cloud service provider. So to say it's going to be $5,000 for the next 12 months is a very difficult thing to say for a public blockchain because that uh, economics doesn't isn't in your control, right? It's market-driven. Um, and therefore, when supply and demand drive the token price as well as gas price mm. to different directions, you as a CTO have no control of your infrastructure costs. And one of the ways to address that is firstly to increase capacity and by operating a layer two uh, in the configurations that uh, we have employed allows you to have a lot of capacity. And by having more capacity, you are able to process more transaction than uh, hopefully there is demand for. And therefore, you can allocate some of that uh, supply to a enterprise customers with a level of certainty. So if we take, say, 400 million of transactions uh, that we have the capacity to produce every day, we can 
say maybe half of them are allocated to enterprise usage and um, the remuneration for that uh, those capacity can be a monthly subscription in fiat and therefore the enterprise customers can solve those issues can you know uh, be rest assured uh, the transactions are going to complete and we are going to have the capacity of say 10,000 transactions a day or 100,000 transactions a day mm-hmm. and we as an organization the enterprise customer can pay $10,000 a month in fiat and having that uh, computation capability mm. okay your website states that in terms of predictable pricing that you have uh, it costs a cent right? As a transaction cost? Am I I correct? Um, From a public uh, transaction perspective. From a public, yes. Correct. So in in terms of the public, right, in terms of the public side, what is your approach to calculating the transaction cost? Yeah, um, the method of calculating transaction costs are very similar to other uh, EVM-based blockchains. You essentially use the price of Ether Mm -hmm. and times by what the gas price is, uh, times by the number of uh, gas consumed. Mm -hmm. And MetaMask does that automatically for you, where we are essentially, at the moment, setting the gas price manually to be a fixed number because there's a lot of capacity to be able to produce uh, computation power and that allows us to uh, set a average uh, transaction price to be a fairly low value okay and how are you handling bridging to lightlink mm-hmm uh, great question. I think uh, bridging as an infrastructure technology is available to it's it's a public knowledge, right? So uh, many people can uh, many projects can fork existing bridges, or many existing bridge providers can deploy their infrastructure on uh, Lightlink, on Ethereum, on other networks. You know, it's a permissionless network; anybody can build on top. So hopefully, if we have the reason for projects to be building bridges, it, the people will build bridges, right? So uh, because it's open. From a Lightlink perspective, we are providing an official bridge. So that official bridge is uh, built by our team. It's a concept we have uh, done several times in the past, and we've done uh, several security audits by external uh, third parties to ensure bridges constructed uh, nicely, uh, reasonably, and securely. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect answer. <laughs> I think I heard it's dinner time around where you are, right? So there's some commotion in the back. <laughs> Is Lightlink a vanilla EVM? Does it have the same address as Ethereum, for example? Uh, yes, it does. Because we operate the same type of encryption, you're able to reuse your existing Ethereum address on the network. So if you have MetaMask, uh, for example, you can, with a click of a button, add um, Lightlink to your MetaMask uh, network and transact just using your existing infrastructure. So in that sense, it is. Uh, We also use the uh, Geth compiler in Ethereum uh, client itself. So we do that to maintain the perfect uh, compatibility with uh, Solidity, with the full EVM uh, understanding out there in the world. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. I mean, our, our audience is, is pretty mixed. So sometimes um, it's it's nice to um, just address the different components of what goes on in, in a layer two and, and also from the address aspect. Let's let's talk about the consensus mechanism. 
How does Lightlink's consensus work? Is it different from any other layer two, etc.? Just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, there are a lot of similarities between us and um, other popular uh, layer twos like Arbitrum and Optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment, uh, it's a whitelisted system. So for sequencers or validators uh, to participate in the network, it has to be within a whitelist uh, for now. And we do have a path to encourage other or incentivize other participants into the network to increase uh, further decentralization and processing capacity. Um, so in term, with respect to validators, um, can I ask how many you have? Uh, at the moment, uh, it's five, I think. Okay. And who can validate and run a valid- validator node? Is this just an average Joe or would you need to be an experienced developer with... Um, let's say, access to more sizable resources? Yeah, at the moment, it, it is all conducted internally uh, by our team. Okay. And in, in the future, uh, we would encourage our supporters, network supporters to participate. Um, and there is a minimum computation power required to become a validator. And as long as you are able to meet that computation requirement, mm-hmm. you can participate in the network. Mm-hmm. And just curious, so what what is uh, Lightlink's validator incentive? Yeah, from a incentivizing validator and network participation, I, I think the obvious answer to that is in the future we'll be launching a token, and the token should represent the value of the network. And therefore, if you choose to mm-hmm. um, help the network to grow, uh, achieve further decentralization and add value to the network, then you are incentivized with more share of the network. It's something that we are working with our advisors uh, on as well, um, because having the right tokenomics uh, is critical to, um, to have the right incentivization. Mm-hmm. So I, I read that Lightlink was purposefully built for, you You actually define it as metaverse, NFT, and gaming applications, uh, which I also gathered due to your affinity to gaming. Obviously, I checked out your LinkedIn page and <laughs> saw that you um, you founded MMGN.com. I'm not familiar with, with MMGN, but I imagine it's, it's a gaming community. So... Metaverse is, is quite a wide concept. What exactly do you mean by by that, and and how do you how are you planning to capture with with the so called metaverse? Yeah, um, interesting question. <laughs> Feel free to answer however you interpret it. Sure. Uh, one of our uh, largest investors is uh, the Translucere Group, uh, based in Thailand. Oh, I and see. They are affiliated with large media companies and uh-huh. uh, telcos and um, other. Uh, larger corporate initiatives. And one of the uh, key corporate strategies to how can we build uh, more of a digital presence, uh, more of a metaverse capability uh, within Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And Transistor is uh, intending to uh, do more things uh, in this world, right? But we look at metaverse as, a, as an economy, as a new digital world, uh, in my mind, uh, assets in that world are NFTs and uh, financial transactions in that world is crypto, right? So you have fungible and you have non-fungible, you have two sides of that equation. Right. And if we envision that future world, in, no matter what form does it 
taking, right? Whether if it's desktop or mobile, AR, VR, or, you know, whatever, right? So if that future digital world needs an infrastructure mm -hmm. for these assets, for these digital assets, digital payments to be conducted in, a blockchain will be a reasonable foundation for those transactions because it's uh, natively built for those uh, transactions. It's the most secure. It's... Um, It has existing standards defining uh, payments in terms of tokens or assets in terms of NFTs. And they're fairly understood, widely understood from a interoperability from a crypto natives perspective. So we built Lightlink for that purpose in mind to provide a digital infrastructure for the future. Now, gaming is really interesting too, because when I talk to game developers, they have this mentality of a single chain ecosystem, right? So when they say, hey, let's build a Web3 game, let's put stuff on chain, right? And the obvious uh, thinking is, can we put on Binance? Can we put it on Polygon? Can we put you know these transactions on Ethereum? But it, it makes sense for some transactions to be on Polygon. So, for example, if you have USDT uh, as a reward, uh, as an example, you know, you play some games, you get some rewards. And if those rewards have value, you want those transactions to be on the chain with uh, the most uh, wide, widely supported, the most uh, liquidity, right? So you want your USDT on Ethereum or on Polygon, as an example, right? So you play this game, you want you get your USDT on these chains. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes sense for you to issue rewards on those chains uh, but at the same time you know if you want a valuable pfp that you can uh, tap into the existing uh, nft marketplaces you also want it to be uh, on those chains but there's actually more transactions than those two that i just mentioned the rewards and the pfps and the subscriptions there are records that are very important to gamers too so for example um i am a level 27 warrior and i have accumulated 50,000 points by doing all these quests right so those are also valuable uh records uh -huh. but those Records might not be valuable for the wider world, they're valuable for me. So I implore game developers to explore a two-chain strategy, right? So you have value on one side and you have records on the other side. For the very valuable transactions, maybe it's at least today to utilize a network that has the highest value, the highest interoperability, the largest economy, and that might be Binance or Polygon Ethereum. For the transactions, That which are records, it doesn't make sense to place all of those records onto a layer one, right? So you need to look at what does it look like if you place those transactions on a layer two, because um, it's faster, it's uh, easier, it's cheaper for you to uh, write those records on a layer two. And uh, that's another reason why we built Lightlink. Mm -hmm. Now, All the other layer twos out there have something which I call the linear uh, linear pricing model. So, for example, if I pay one cent for a transaction and I do this a hundred times, uh, I pay a dollar. You know, it's a linear scaling solution. The more you, the, it's a multiple of how many times you do this. But uh, when you conduct a transactions for millions of users, for even hundreds and thousands of users that becomes very cost prohibitive from a game developer perspective, right? Like it's mm -hmm. fairly uh, easy to imagine your game have 50,000 uh, players and uh, if they 
use the game 10 times a day, you know, uh, that's 500,000 records, right? And the question is, where do you place that? If uh, you place that onto a layer two that costs one cent per transaction, which is a fairly cheap cost, it's gonna run you $5,000 a day. And um, that becomes a very costly exercise for a game developer to bear because 50,000 users, uh, DAUs, writing 10 transactions a day, it's not a very big exercise. So that's why we introduced the non-linear pricing model. Uh, you can pay a monthly fee and there's a capacity, just like a SaaS product, and you can write transactions up to that capacity. And it becomes a lot more uh, affordable for developers to entertain. Wow, this was actually super interesting. Are, are you a gamer, by the way? Because you have a lot of gaming in, in your background. Yeah, I love to play games, but I just don't have the time. <laughs> you don't have the time. <laughs> I, figured, I figured that was the that would be the answer, where to find the time. But because obviously you would have to understand all these metrics, right? All this interplay that you're talking about. It makes so much sense. So on a daily basis, because, okay, you you did build Lightlink for, for, this, um, for this purpose. I mean, you must have these conversations. Do you have these conversations on a daily basis in terms of these different metrics that you were just talking about? Yeah. And what makes sense? Yeah. Um, one of the most important things to build uh, technology is to build with a purpose in mind to solve a problem, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, building something that nobody needs, I think that's, yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> doesn't, make, doesn't sense, make sense, right? So You want adoption, of course. Exactly. So when we talk to game developers, when we talk to customers, when we talk to large enterprise um, projects, you know, it's important to understand what their pains are. And if they experiment with Web3, what's holding them back? and how we can iterate and improve to meet their needs, right? And Lightlink is an iteration on top of other people who have built this technology in the past. Of course. So, yeah, I'm just curious because, of course, you have to apply this to, to make it useful and not just to build something and have it sit there. Just curious, this is, this is a completely um, sort of a general question, not a technical question. What's a day in the life of Roy Hoy? I mean, I imagine no day is the same, but okay, Lightling has been around for a while. You're, it's on mainnet, et cetera. Could you generalize a day or, or maybe a week? Like what is, what is a typical day or what does a typical week look like for you now? Yeah, um, good question. Uh, like you said, um, every day is different. Every week's different. Last week right. was at Token 2049 and that was really, really exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the largest events in the region. And um, I've met and bumped into people that we've done business with, uh, we've worked with for a very long time, but have never met in person. So that was really cool. That's always nice. Yeah, exactly. I try Even to, if it's a remote, it, it's, it can get, um, you need to put a face to the virtual face. Yeah, exactly. And there's something that can be conveyed digitally, even with the camera on, right? So that physical presence is really interesting. Absolutely. So... Firstly, we have numerous projects, numerous interests that's happening in parallel. So I talk to our engineers, our project groups to understand uh, where we are and help them with uh, prioritization, right? Because I have a good understanding from a broad picture, what's important, uh, what's coming down the pipeline, how we can support our customers. So helping our existing team with prioritization is a, a key element that I do every day to talk with various members of the team to understand where their problems are, how can we solve them, get an understanding of what they're working on, and 
help them to be successful. So we have great team members who are responsible for their individual categories, whether if it's uh, ecosystem or foundation or marketing or finance um, or business development and helping them along the way, right? Also, um, one of the largest uh, endorsers of the um, of the protocol, right? So I try to talk to customers, uh, potential customers, to understand how we can add value, right? It's an exchange of values, in my opinion. It's not really this is not really about saying we're the best and you have to use us. It's about understanding what their uh, pains are and how we can configure our technology um, and offer value to solve their problem and. That takes a uh, substantial amount of my time every day as well. No, I'm sure. I mean, it's it's the the value conversation is always key for the long term. Everybody can pitch that their layer two is the best, but uh, ultimately it's for for what use and for what purpose and for optimal value for both sides. So correct. How big is your team? Um, about thirty different people participating from a variety of different capacity at the moment. Yeah. Right. No, that's that's that's, that's pretty fair. A lot of the layer twos or actually even layer ones that we speak with, the number varies. And then, of course, it's the the number of developers. That's uh, exactly <laughs> it's the key component. How, just curious, how many devs do you have? We are majority engineers. I see. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also interesting because we are working on a protocol, um, but there are many teams who are building on top of uh, our infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. We're providing them as with a platform, with a foundation to build innovation, to uh, help them to find and unlock um, things that they haven't done before in other protocols as well. Mm-hmm. So we, we touched upon the metaverse and, and the gaming aspect are you looking to attract any other applications? Um, those are uh, important categories. Uh, so we're currently working on uh, two separate streams. One is uh, what existing Web2 real-world applications can we pull over to Web3? And that, I believe, have um, solves the uh, how can we introduce this technology to the wider world because crypto native users are still very small in comparison to billions of people around the world Mm -hmm. and we try to tackle this problem by can we introduce public transportation can we introduce payments to the larger world and onboard millions of users so that's one area of uh, focus, uh, talking to, mm-hmm. you know, public transportation, CBDC pilots, uh, large existing uh, Web2 projects with a lot of uh, customers and look at how we can add Web3 to add value, right? And the other arm of the business is looking at how can we build out a more complete uh, Web3 ecosystem uh, and whether if that's DeFi protocols or existing NFT infrastructure or uh, Web3 components. And so I call this sort of the two areas where we are um, focusing uh, substantially on the enterprise side, where other members of our BD team are focusing on the Web3 side. And the, uh, a dream of mine is the two converges in a year and a half or two years from now, where we have millions of users who are capturing value, who are seeing this protocol, this technology would be a better form of technology for them in the things that they do. And um, Web3 capabilities unlock new things for those users. And that's um, a really cool Mm -hmm. um, thing for us to to hope to uh, see in the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think on, on every single episode that we that I that we have, and and when I talk to founders, almost everybody says we're still early. <laughs> There's a lot of building going on, even no matter what state of the market we are in. But of course, adoption is key. So bridging Web two. Or even maybe in some areas of the world, there's you know, some, there are in Web two, Web two point five. I would imagine that that's why what I was asking about the metaverse. I feel like that Southeast Asia, or Asia in general, is is much more maybe advanced is not the right word, but just more much more prominent, much more present in the metaverse, and it's a much more uh, daily way of life versus we are like here in Europe where we're based. But in the end, uh, bridging from Web 2 to Web 3 and f doing this dance, I feel like that's where we're in, right? And um, it's, uh, it's, it's super interesting to hear everybody's different take in terms of their founding, pr their, their projects. Just curious, what is this? So Lightning is not a new blockchain. What is the state of the deployed applications on, the, on mainnet now? If you can just maybe give us a... a a picture of of how different um, things stand. Yeah, it's uh, we've been mainnet for a few months now, and it's still a relatively young ecosystem, mm -hmm. uh, a young economy. Right, mm -hmm. we focus predominantly on the enterprise applications first to look at uh, where we can scale uh, using a dual chain uh, architecture, as I was talking about previously, for existing games or to reduce cost, transaction costs on layer ones, uh, to add more transactions, uh, allowing these games to scale. Those are uh, the past um, focus series. And we are uh, working closely with another group um, to deploy the first AMM um, uh, DEX on top of Lightlink and that project is called Electric. And uh, that's really interesting because uh, they started with a, a Uniswap fork, right? Um, in terms of it, there's a lot of features within uh, a existing DEX, but by exploring the gasless features, the trading algorithm can unlock new trading models because AMMs are really efficient from a gas processing perspective. Mm -hmm. It only does trading between two currencies uh, fairly effectively using uh, that algorithm. But if we remove gas uh, difficulties from a user perspective, the project can deploy other types of trading like limit orders or iceberg orders, which are very different from, you know, AMM type of orders. And that gives a better user experience that gives a more efficient market. So by uh, simply, uh, if we can call gasless simple, you can almost unlock new innovations for users for developers to explore, for users to have a better UX, for have for them to have more efficient uh, trading, and uh, for uh, value to be created in both sides. Mm -hmm. So that's on the AMM front, um, and on different uh, infrastructure, we had different partnerships. So NFT in exchanges and DeFi, uh, we have you know many different conversations in parallel. But uh, relatively, we're still a fairly young ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But from a testnet perspective, uh, we've had over I think eighteen thousand smart contracts deployed, and that's uh, quite astounding for the number of months we've been. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty high number. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your roadmap uh, is definitely packed. 
with respect to what you just said, what's what's in store for year end 2023? Can you let us in on on your immediate roadmap? And then what's in store for 2024? Ooh. Um, or the list is too long <laughs> to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> there, there are so many things we're working on, right? Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we can announce some of the deals that we've been working on for the past few months. Mm -hmm. And those are large uh, Web2 projects uh, that we're adding Web3 innovation to, right? And those are very well-known household uh, media brands. And, and I think it will be really exciting because of these characteristics we're able to add um, uh, for Lightlink, we're able to add to that picture. And those are where we're focusing uh, at least uh, a lot of our attention on to go, how can we solve the user problem first? Mm -hmm. Let's bring you know, a couple of million users onto the network and get them to interact with a limited capacity for now. Uh, maybe it's just earning points or unlock, unlocking digital collectibles or avatars for now. But hopefully we can introduce more Web3 innovation. So for example, the ability to borrow, the ability to earn, utilizing uh, that user base, but more uh, Web3 infrastructure. So that's what I'm super, super excited about. And hopefully we can see more of that convergence between the two uh, enterprise uh, user base, Web2 user base, and Web3 ecosystem towards the end of next year. Well, perfect. Sounds um Sounds super exciting, actually. I'm just curious because uh, you have a lot of things on your plate. Looking back from where you are now with Lightlink um, and the inception, what were what would you say were some of your biggest challenges that you faced? Or do you even remember? <laughs> or you blocked them out? Yeah. <laughs> Every day, right? Every day. Every surely, day. surely. I'm sure. Yeah. It's not an easy road. Yeah. I, I think, firstly... It's a infrastructure, it's a platform. So you really have to have a key differentiation uh, for you to be able to compete, right? Mm -hmm. And that innovation needs to add substantial value, a 10x value, not a 1.5 or 2x um, value to what others are doing. Convincing developers to participate, being able to answer, do you have a grant that you can offer us? Or uh, convincing investors why we are uh, the next best thing, or and how you're adding value. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, talking to enterprise customers on why blockchains are better than uh, databases, right? So um, mm. it's uh, it's never easy. Um, but again, I guess that's why we do it. Do it because I very clearly see this is the future of our world, right? Where all the major transactions, important records, are stored in a truth anchoring permanent permanence anchoring technology where uh, any other technology doesn't provide that capability and um, to make that future happen you've got to give it a go well that's well said and and just referring back to how you started the conversation it anchors truth right uh that's why we're we are in this space and, and from our side we we like to talk about the actual use cases with whether it's L1s, L2s, anything involving in terms of L L3, uh, sorry, Web3 actually. Well, actually, L3s are also uh, on the horizon. But just um, building and keeping calm. And um, like you said, anchoring truth. I really like that quote. Well, Roy, I think we've covered a substantial amount of information here. Thank you for leading us down uh, the Lightlink road. I'm just curious, why the name Lightlink? Is there any significance to the name? There must be. 
Yeah, um, thanks for your time in letting us tell our side of the story. And uh, I think Lightlink is a uh, interesting name. Uh, it's a combination of many different things uh, that we try to achieve. You know, link uh, connecting the world um, and being a layer two, right? That uh, interoperability, that link to the uh, larger economy, are is super important. Um, and light being it's a sign of positivity, it's uh, energy, it's truth, um, it's truth exactly. Um, and connecting all of that together is what we're hoping to do. Well, perfect. Uh, Roy, is there anything to, to add or would you like to add um, from your side that maybe I have not asked, but you would like to let our audience know or, or take away? Yeah, I firstly we can't do this without our team right so um i i'm not just representing myself you know i'm a pretty terrible programmer mm -hmm. um <laughs> and um it's our team that makes this happen right so we have um great coo um a co-founder live our uh, fantastic ecosystem lead foundation lead our key engineers and people who dedicate their lives you know 24 7 around the clock to make this happen and it's their life uh, blood and tears that um, this technology is where it is today and we want to change the world so you, we can't do it alone and we need more people to join us and help us along the way Perfect. Uh, what's the best way to follow your work or contact or participate? Yeah, you can uh, find us on Twitter. Um, I'm sure we would um, post our Twitter handle in the uh, show notes. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, you can definitely follow me on Roy Hui uh, on uh, X on Twitter as well. Well, perfect. Um, I think we're ready to, to wrap this up. Roy, thank you so very much for talking with me today and uh, giving our audience a better understanding of Lightlink and how it's different from other L2s and how, of course, it's similar for, for more of the less uh, Web3 blockchain savvy, especially what use cases it aims to solve. And, uh, and of course, a deeper dive into Roy Hoy, the leader behind it all and, and the team. So all the best to you and your team. Thank you, Nina. It's definitely my pleasure for being here as well. And um, you definitely ask really challenging and uh, interesting questions. And uh, it's really good to hear from a lead podcast like yours. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Barium Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on barriamusic.com. The episode supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. Our podcast is available on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, and Radio Public. You can follow us on Twitter at Recorded Podcast and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.